you know so much about your body, but why don't you go to the body expert? You know, we, we, certain things we're, we're quick to go for help, but why not go to these people who studied for years, who see this all the time? Like this might be an easy fix for them. So I'm, I'm quicker to, to move and ask for help from the right way to be. Like I know it. My best self is better than every single person who's going to walk on that platform. That Gosh, man, that was, that was a moment to change my life, man. Work harder than everyone else and just keep going. Get up and do it again and again and again. The journey to a better you starts right now. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Better Than Yesterday podcast. I'm your host, Angelo Kelly. On this week's show, I am joined by Ariel Horahan, a doctor of physical therapy out of California. We were talking on Instagram, messaging back and forth, and I was looking at her profile, and she puts out a ton of good content. I think on Instagram, the people who usually tend to stand out are posting the most outrageous stuff or exercises that you've never seen before. But on Ariel's page, she shares a lot of basic content, a lot of concepts that are super easy to grasp. And that's one thing that I really enjoyed about her conversation. She clearly has the book smarts, but she knows how to describe it in a way that everybody's going to understand. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy this episode. We got into injury management, um, the mental side of dealing with injury and coming back from that your daily habits, adding a mobility practice, all that's covered. Um, I think this was a really good one, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Yeah, for sure. I was actually looking back at some of your Instagram, and you put out a lot of good content. I think, um, you know, sometimes it gets lost. You do something, and you think it's going to do really well, and then it doesn't. But I think people end up scrolling back and, like, if you have a good foundation of content, people will go back to it like I did because I like I haven't followed you for that long. Yeah, good. Um, yeah, I try to just like put out topics that I think would benefit the community. And like sometimes it's conversation I had with somebody or like I see a trend in treating clients and I've kind of gotten a mixed feedback. Like some people are like, oh, your Instagram should all be funny and entertaining. And other people are like, no, it should be like useful material. And I'm like, I'm just going to keep putting it out there. And I hope somebody gets something out of the funny ones and the useful ones and I just feel like the more you can give people knowledge, the more power they have. So I just have fun with it. Yeah, for sure. I'm not a big fan of doing reels myself. I haven't done a ton of them. And I mean, I don't knock anybody that does it. I feel like it does get really good engagement. So if you can if yeah. you can uh, get your message out there, maybe get pe- get more followers. And then when people see that you actually know what you're talking about, they're, they'll stick around instead of like just looking for the, the funny stuff. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think especially in physical therapy, like you, there's a lot of people who put out like the clickbait kind of content. So you're not really sure like what to look for if this person's trustworthy. I know like on especially YouTube, there's a lot of people, you know, who put out diet advice and it's like, where did yeah. you actually get this from? <laughs> yeah. And I think like, when I first kind of started venturing into like making my own posts and reels, I'm like, well, like, am I an authority figure? And I was like, yeah, I have the qualifications and degrees. And otherwise people are just getting information from people in the gym or trainers. I'm like, I'm a physical therapist, so I should be putting out that content more regularly than not. So it's a good opportunity. 
How long have you been practicing? I've been practicing. I graduated in 2016. So I started right then six years. Six years. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, It's been good. Yeah. I'd kind of love to go back and and kind of talk about your journey. I feel like everybody who gets into a field usually has, especially like a physical therapist, I'm sure you have an injury story. You know, people who are the best coaches tend to be the people who had the worst experiences with other coaches. So kind of love to dive into that and how you found physical therapy. And uh, I saw that you played college softball. So interested in kind of diving there. So, so yeah, anywhere you want to take it, a little intro. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was kind of interested in physical therapy, just growing up in sports. I think it's one of those fields that you hear from your parents, like, oh, it's medical and it's sporty. And um, wasn't until in college, I actually tore my ACL while I was playing softball. And it was really important to me that I like made it a hundred percent back from my injury. I was like, I don't want to red shirt a year and not play. And I don't want to um, be slower. Like I want to be a starter and I'm going to play all my years. So I really worked hard and had an awesome team. Luckily, like my surgeon was amazing. My physical therapist was guiding me the whole time. I had the best staff in the athletic training room and I kind of got to see all the levels of it. And I just really fell in love with the process of like understanding the timeline and respecting the timeline and like pushing your limits in a safe way. And I started asking everyone I would meet like in the training room, like, oh, where are you in your recovery? Where are you in your recovery? Like, what's next for you? What's your goal? Um, And I just felt like that was really a calling to me that I could learn about people's injuries and just be like a guide and a support. Like the physical therapist role is not to fix you. It's to give you the information you need and the tools you need so that you can do the work. And so I just thought that's what I want to do with my life. I want to help people and that be that bridge. And especially in an athletic world, I think a lot of people will start their recovery, but maybe not get all the way back to their sport because they don't know how or it's difficult or I don't even know the reasons, but I I just know my life would be very different if I couldn't get all the way back. Were you on a different path before that? like a different major or anything like that? Or were you always geared towards something health and fitness? Um, I really had no clue. I was actually a biology major, but I was like, oh, please don't make me be like a botanist or something. That would have been terrible. Uh, so did you end up actually switching majors? Um, no, I kept the biology degree. Um, like got me all the prerequisite classes that I need. And I was able to just stream, go directly into my physical therapy from there. Um, so it worked out because I guess I got like a little bit of a variety. And it's interesting because physical therapy is one of those professions that people come back to. So in PT school, you'll meet people who are like, I was a banker for 10 years and I was an artist and it like history buff and just all these different walks of life that found their, they had their own story or found their own way and decided that was their calling. So that's cool. How long did it take you to actually to recover from the ACL tear? Um, So I was on kind of an accelerated path. So I was able to play full softball six months out, which is really the earliest that you should be playing. But my doctor gave me my guidelines and I hit them. So he really couldn't tell me no. 
Um, I really don't recommend rushing back at six months. I think it's one of those, like, you don't know what you don't know. Like, you feel good. You're like, it's pretty good. I can wear a knee brace and I can do stuff. But then, you know, two months down the road, you're like, oh, wait, that's what it was actually supposed to feel like. Like, now it's better. And then another month later, like, wait, now is when I probably should start playing. It kind of changes for over a year that you're still really seeing rapid growth and progress and you're not having those same pain symptoms after and that kind of thing. So that's why I always tell people, respect your timeline, know what your end goal is and make sure you're hitting your check marks. And if you're not hitting your check marks on time, why not? Like, what do we need to change to get you from A to B to C? Cause you're not going to go A to C you have to hit everyone. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you, you said like you fell in love with the process. I feel like it's almost, it's like cliche in a sense, because everybody said, I actually have trust the process tattooed, I see. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's a lot harder to actually trust the process or to fall in love with the process. So what did that look like when you're coming back from injury? Like, is that, you know, doing the little things every single day? Is that, you know, being the first person in the recovery room? Like, like how did that kind of evolve for you? Um, yeah, I mean, I wish I could say I was up at 6 a.m. and in the training room, but I was begrudgingly dragging my butt in there because I knew it was going to be three hours of rehab and work and fitting it in your day. And you don't love every day. You don't, You but you show up like, you, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have days you're so sore. Like, please don't make me do another wall sit because I can't today. Um, and I think that what was so amazing was the whole team that I had around me because I could come in and say, guys, I'm really not feeling it. And they would say, all right, you know what? Everyone in the training room, we're all doing this wall sit with Ariel. And they made it a, a game, a challenge. Like, you weren't alone. And I think that was like such a big thing that it was like a team aspect. We're all recovering, we're at different journeys, but we can still support each other to get there. And um, my, my trainers, they listened to me, they respected me. They were, if I said, hey, I'm so bored with this phase, like, can you spice it up a little bit? They would, they would find a way to make it uh, more enjoyable. And I do try to bring that variety aspect with my clients now because a lot of the sports that I work uh, with are people who do jujitsu and CrossFit and your, your unpredictable sports. Like if I give them the same four exercises to do every day, it, it's not happening. I know it's not happening, but I can make it more fun, but get you the result that we need. Mm. Yeah, I think that's important, especially like if you're, you, you know, your timeline, six months is a really long time. And even if that was the accelerated process like for some people it might look like a year a year and a half to get back to where they are yep yep but you have to keep in mind like the small goals like i'm like look what you were doing three weeks ago and look where you are now look what you were doing two months ago and look where you are now like setting those little checkpoints along the way that you're like yay i can wave my victory flag and then get back to work is super important do you feel like you still use a lot of aspects that you learned from softball in your daily life now? Um, yeah, I mean, it all carries over, right? It's like a mindset, it's a mental, physical, emotional, it's, it's learning how to 
softball's cool sport because it's very like you check in and you're in the moment and then you check out and it's pitch by pitch right and you know they always say like you have to forget about the last pitch to move on to the next one or you're never going forward and I think that's such a big thing in life still that I'm like okay next pitch like what do we do and then we move on you check in you check out and just keep going yeah I love that I played college baseball too Ah, great. So, yeah, I feel like one of the biggest things I take away is, like, I've failed so many times. All like, the, time. the the whole year, if you, like, if you hit three or 400, you're failing 60, 70% of the time. So, it's like... You're doing great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so nowadays, if I mess something up, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I've, I've dealt with this. Yeah, we've, we've definitely had a worse batting average. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, th- I think I... I like I always recommend people if you do have the opportunity to play uh, a sport in school do it like you're gonna learn so much from it even if it's I played d3 and it's like it's not super serious and you know it really doesn't matter but like I've taken so much away from from baseball and applied that to the rest of my everyday life I'm sure probably learned more lessons on the field than I did in the actual classroom yeah exactly it keeps you focused it's it's a good opportunity for sure what position did you play? I played outfield, right field. You do. <laughs> okay. What uh, what position in the outfield? Um, I, I ended in left field. Okay. I played right field. I could hit, but I wasn't the best fielder. Gotcha. It just stuck me out there. Yeah. But that's fine. Um, Once you got done college, like, did you get right into PT, go into a clinic, or what did that transition look like? Yeah, it was quick. Um, Like, I was super fortunate to I applied to seven physical therapy schools they say just apply to a lot because sometimes it's very competitive I do think the softball helped me get in um, just being a college athlete but I got into USC right away so I knew that November of my senior year so it was cool because I got to go through softball season super relaxed and knew I was like on to the next thing right when I graduated I was going to start uh start at SC so it was like real work once we got going in the physical therapy school (laughs) what's what's it like I haven't really asked anybody like what going through PT school is like like how long is it um you know how many classes are you taking what's that kind of look like um it is consuming so like I've had a couple students or people who are interested in it ask me about it and I'm like make sure you want to do it like go to a clinic volunteer and you have to volunteer to apply. They always look for volunteer hours. Um, but I was like, ask yourself if you can literally see yourself doing the job or if any of those physical therapists have the life you want to have. Because you're about to commit, you know, the four years of undergrad plus three years of grad school. And it's a doctorate now. You can no longer get a master's degree. You have to get the doctorate. So it's intensive, like... You're, you're studying all the time. You're in school full time. Um, Saturdays I was studying. Sundays I was studying. I told my husband, my now husband, we met during my last uh, month of PT school. And I was like, it's a good thing you met me now because I didn't have time for you <laughs> a couple months ago. That's awesome. And then yeah. what were you like? Were you playing any sports after college? Like how? how'd that kind of look like 
because I know a lot of people a lot of people have trouble like once you you know you play four years of a sport and then you don't really have anything to do after you're done class yeah it was really cool because while I was playing softball um there was a group that would work out in the training room and they would do the coolest stuff. Like I would be walking in there to do my normal softball workout and they would be like doing handstand walks across the floor. And I was like, Whoa, you guys are great. Like, how do I learn that? Like, teach me that. And then, you know, they'd be doing things like toes to bar. So them doing muscle ups. And I was like, I love everything that's happening here. Teach me all of it. And that was CrossFit. I had no idea what CrossFit was. Um, and I, I told my coach, that year I was like, Oh, I'm going to do that. And they said, yeah, after you graduate, because we can't have another torn ACL. <laughs> so, uh, the minute I graduated, I found myself a CrossFit box and started doing it. And I like totally shifted passion, like the softball, all the softball work I had put in on the skill work and the focus went, Oh, let's do CrossFit. Um, which is really cool. It was a great time to find it. Uh, the only thing that was hard is if you want to dive all into something and you're super excited, but time is of the essence. Uh, I could really only get in like a one hour workout a day, which was efficient in PT school, get my one hour workout, get back to the books. But I made that a priority in school to keep my mental sanity. Um, so I would do my four or five workouts a week, one hour only CrossFit, and then get back to studying but it helped me balance things really well. It's funny how you think that like the, the one hour workout isn't enough. When I know <laughs> most normal people like an hour workout to them. is like, Oh no, like I don't have time for that. But if you think about like your hobbies or your passions, like I know people that can read for six hours and I'm like, yeah, I'm not reading for six hours. One hour is cool for reading. <laughs> but if, CrossFit varies so much. Like you could spend two hours learning skills and two hours actually lifting weights and then do some cardio and there's your day. Is in the PT world, like, are they still kind of behind on CrossFit or do you feel like it's caught up to where people are more accepting of it and it's not seen as this thing that you're going to inevitably get injured with? Yeah. I mean, I would love to hear from a, a PT student now because when I was in PT school, we had about 100 students in our class and two of us did CrossFit and we were a little bit outcasted. Like it, there was definitely every now and then a professor would make a remark about like the unsafeness or how CrossFit keeps us in business. And all the kids would look at me and my CrossFit friend. But it's so interesting because what you preach in physical therapy really in my mind goes hand in hand with the principles of CrossFit where you wanna do full body range of motion, functional movements, learning scaling capacities. And those are all things that CrossFit is and should be. So it's a really a safe avenue to do it. Um, so I think there is a shift coming. And I think a lot of the negativity from physical therapists about CrossFit was just lack of education of what CrossFit really is. You know, people just watch the CrossFit games and they're like, oh, no, that's too heavy and unsafe. And the most people shouldn't be doing those things. But I think we know now there's a lot of variation within the gyms of what's appropriate and scaling options. 
um, like actually my mother-in-law just started crossfitting a couple months ago and, um, she loves it. She gets a great workout. She's doing different movements. It's safe for her health. She's safely getting on and off the floor and doing stairs. Like, isn't that what we want everyone to be doing? So uh, as a physical therapist, that makes me so happy. And as a CrossFitter. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it too, like a lack of education. How many people who talk shit on CrossFit have never been into a gym and who never have had a good coach who's like, hey, this is how we're going to scale this workout. And yeah, most people probably don't need handstand push-ups or snatches, but there's a lot of different movements that you can do that are similar to that that are going to get right. you results. And yeah, getting off the toilet's going to be easier. Um, running around with your grandkids is going to be easier, stuff like that. It's not... Yeah, it's not, hey, everybody works out four times a day and it's 40-minute no. Metcon, stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. And I think it really prevents things from getting really stagnant. Like for people who are like, oh, I go to the gym and I get on my five machines and I go home. Like machines really are not a functional thing to sit on the leg curl and curl the machine. You don't do that in everyday life. So there's really minimal translation of that to the real world. But if you can pick up a ball and hold it into a squat, that's picking up your grandkid, like you said. So that's where you're doing different types of movements and getting your body ready for life stimulus. Was strength and conditioning a big emphasis at your school? Definitely, yes. Yeah. A lot of the classes really vary, but we do get a lot of strength and conditioning. Um, and then... One of our courses prepared us to take an exam called the CSCS, and that's the Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. Uh, so a lot of us ended up taking the test because we were ready. So it was just like an extra certification that we had, um, which I think is so valuable as a physical therapist just to get more in depth on your, it goes over like numbers, like based off your height and weight, what sport you do, what should we program for you specifically? So I really enjoyed that certification. So what kind of people are you seeing on a daily basis now? Like what I know you mentioned a little bit, um, jujitsu, CrossFit, like what is that your main clientele now? Yeah, that's definitely the main clientele. I still get like your weekend warriors or like friends and family. I've had people bring in like their parents even, um, or their kids. So I kind of range from like eight years old to 70 and um all very varied levels of activity but what's really cool about my clientele is all of them want to be there you know it's not something like oh my doctor's making me come in and i have to you know i have to show up six times like they all want to come because they want to get the work done and they'll do what needs to be done so it's really makes my job easy i just give them the tools and they take it do people only come to you when they get injured or do they come to you before an injury? Um, all the above. So that's what's great. Like I'm directly in CrossFit gyms, which to me is a model that needs to be adopted everywhere because I can literally watch people work out and be like, well, no wonder your knee hurts. Look at it. You know, I can watch you do that. And I know what the problem is right away. Um, so it's just like very direct feedback on what they're trying to do. But being in the CrossFit gyms, is perfect because I catch people before there's an actual injury and I can make micro adjustments or maybe something's just kind of an ache, but not a full on injury. They're like starting to get some, some problems in this shoulder. It's not 
not all the time, only with certain things. And I'm like, great, make an appointment. Let's, let's clean that up right away. And then some people have had injury injuries and they'll see me a little more consistently to clean that up. But it's really just taking what I feel I can give to them. Like, do I need to give you some strengthening? Do I need to give you some stretching homework that you're not doing? Or do you need the body work? And some people come to me specifically just body work, like tune these up and send me on my way so I can do jujitsu and my neck won't hurt. Perfect. One post I saw that you made that I really liked, it was talking about pain. And you said the the normal amount of pain is none, which I thought was super interesting because, I mean, you always hear people, CrossFit, weightlifters, jujitsu, like this hurts, you know, my wrist, my knee. Everyone thinks that you're supposed to just keep training, you know, you deal with pain. Like how, how do you deal with it? You do some extra stretching, you take a leave, you take Advil, ibuprofen, whatever. Yeah. I feel like people are always having aches and pains. So, so what do you mean by that? Like you should just, whenever you're training, you should feel nothing. Everything should feel (laughs) So I think the big thing is like aches and pains are normal. If you're training your body at a higher intensity, you're going to get sore, even have a little pain sometimes. Like my knee is funky today. But what shouldn't happen is that knee pain shouldn't stick around. I don't want it to stay. You know, by day three, you're like, oh, now my pain level was a two and now I'm at a seven. Like that's not normal. That normal would be, oh, you have your two days of delayed onset muscle soreness. And then you got on the bike and flush it out and you feel fine. That would be a normal response to exercise. But if that pain level is really like going up or sticking around more than three or four days, you got to clean that up. There's something wrong there. Um, So that's where I'm like, you, you shouldn't be continually training in pain on the same thing. Like every time I snatch this shoulder hurts, but then I just don't snatch and I'm fine. But then next week I'll snatch and it hurts. No. (laughs) Is there a mechanical problem, a strength problem? Is this a range of motion that you don't have? Like, what are you not cleaning up so that you can snatch appropriately? I'm thinking me like, okay, look at, look at my movement. Like what am I doing wrong? Cause I, you know, I'm feeling certain stuff, but kind of how do you evaluate people? Are you, you know, hands-on as in, Hey, if you're doing snatches, like, Hey, we're going to do a snatch and show me what hurts. Yes, exactly that. Uh, if, if that's what's so cool about being directly in the gym is they'll be like, you know, the minute I do 10 pushups, that 10th one, and I'm like, cool, get on the floor, 10 pushups it is. Like, let's see what happens at 10 and see if it is like a movement thing. Does your scapula stop firing? Is there like, you don't have good range of motion. You start to like jerk your neck all of a sudden, like what's causing the breakdown there? Because if I can fix the form, you may only need to see me one time. And I say, cool, don't do that with your neck. Bye. (laughs) That's the best case scenario. Right. And then we just saved you from a whole neck surgery. Your doctor thought was appropriate. That really was not. So. Yeah. And we talked about that, like, how many people you know you go to a specialist and they're like oh you need surgery yeah if you have it and basically they kind of go off your point like any pain is not normal so we need to fix the pain it's not right and for a lot of athletes you know doing a movement that causes you pain not doing it is not an option 
So as a weightlifter, you can't say, okay, don't snatch and you'll feel better. So like, no. so that's where I think the, the PT is so crucial. And yeah, I mean, working alongside of somebody like actually understanding the mechanics. I think sometimes it's frustrating when you're going to a doctor and they don't even know what you're talking about. Like, hey, my wrist hurts when I'm snatching. And they're like, oh, I've never seen a snatch before. What's that look like? Yes. That's actually like one I hear all the time. For some reason, the wrist and the snatch. Like, I feel like every doctor needs to learn the snatch for their wrist patients. Yeah, the, the snatch is tough. I dealt with my fair share of wrist pain. Have it like what do you what do you actually do for, for wrist pain when you're working with your CrossFit athletes? Yeah. So actually some of the ones I've seen specifically for the snatch with the wrist, like I'll say, okay, let's grab a barbell. Let's check your normal positioning. Cause there's actually some like range of motion issues in the wrist that can affect that a lot. And so when the minute they grab a barbell, I can see if they're like favoring a side, I can see where their grip is. Maybe we transition the grip in or out a little bit, or there's some joint mobilizations for the wrist that can improve the range of motion there. And then there's separate strength testing that I would do to see like, oh, maybe this individual muscle is weak relative to the others. So here's your little TheraBand work to get that better. But I mean, if the difference is if you do 50 of these one exercise every day and you don't have pain when you snatch, that's probably worth it to a lot of people, especially if you like you snatch probably every day. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's, t it's tough. There's so many like things to deal with that. I kind of feel like PT is going to be, you know, eventually it's going to be like a part of the program, like yes. where it's not just you have a weightlifting coach or you have a CrossFit coach. It's like, especially as you get older, you're always dealing with this type of stuff. Yeah. One analogy I like really love is like, uh, don't, don't you feel it's appropriate to see your dentist, you know, every year, twice a year, isn't that important to most people? And most people are like, yeah, I have to go to my dentist once a year. I'm like, well, do you go to your physical therapist? once or twice a year and just make sure your body's moving the way it should. You don't have any asymmetries. You train in a weird way and whack everything up. That's going to mess you up in five years. Like if I can catch your hip mobility issue now and help you versus five years down the road, we're going to be able to clean it up so much faster and you're gonna have a lot less pain than if you wait until now there's a problem. Now we have to backtrack quite a bit. So getting that regular check-in tune-up is huge. How do you reshape that thinking? Like all the people who say, oh, I'll go to a physical therapist if I get injured. All the time. I hear it all the time. Um, it's, a, it's super tough because I think it's kind of a misconception. Like people are like, well, if I don't have pain, like what can you do for me? Like why do I need to come? Uh, for a while I was offering like a, just a general body assessment. And that's what I think is a great entry point because we can check kind of grossly how you're moving and check for those asymmetries to fix the problem early. So that's like a good way if we just look for asymmetries at all in your training. Like I've had people who are like, well, I don't have any pain, but I have like, I can't even push my arm up sometimes. I'm like, well, that's a problem. Like just because it doesn't hurt doesn't mean that's not a, a, a problem that could develop into something much worse down the road. Yeah. I think just kind of reshaping that thinking and like a lot of the stuff you post is very simple. 
like it, when you when you have people who post like kind of outrageous stuff and exercises that nobody's ever seen before people are like yeah i want to do that but if you tell people hey sleep eight hours like eat enough carbs and drink 100 ounces of water <laughs> people are like this lady doesn't know what she's talking about yeah <laughs> like it's got to be more than that it's not hard you just have to put in the reps and you have to do it right so that's how i try to tell people i'm like it's not like rocket science but you got to do it <laughs> and that's literally the difference between a painful life and a not painful life <laughs> yeah that's that's a good analogy so i mean what are you telling people on a daily basis like what should be non-negotiable for people injury or not like what should you be doing on a daily basis that's gonna hopefully keep the injuries away as long as possible yeah um like a big thing i preach to people and i didn't really even understand this till a couple years back um is you should have a mobility practice that's not your gym exercise that's not jujitsu it's not weightlifting it's not crossfit it's a mobility practice where you specifically are working on what you need. Like if you have the world's stiffest ankles, you should be spending time on that ankle every single day. If you have, oh, like sometimes I get neck, my neck goes out like once every three months and I can't turn right. So what am I doing every day to prevent that from happening in three months? Because eventually that's only going to get worse. If you're not cleaning it up, it's going to get worse. Um, so just knowing like knowing your body and what you should be doing is the biggest thing and then just make 10 minutes of your day important to work on that and that's an easy transition because then when you actually are injured like oh man like i have a knee problem i have to rehab my knee how am i supposed to find 10 minutes of my day oh look you already do 10 minutes of day of mobility practice now you can specifically work on the knee then get back to your mobility practice when you're healthy. So 10 minutes of mobility today. What else? Yeah. That, I mean, that that's like, that's our thinking. What else? Like 10 minutes a day. Okay. Got that. What's next? Yeah. Yeah. Just do that. <laughs> it doesn't have to be more like people are like, I don't have time for that. I don't know what to do. Go to a physical therapist, learn what to do and then make, make the time that 10 minutes, make that an important part of every single day. Yeah, it's just tough because in 10 minutes, you're not going to see results. Immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone wants the magic pill. I wish I had it. There's no magic. <laughs> you do the work consistently. Yeah, 10 minutes a day for a year adds up to however, it's a long time. And that's time that you weren't putting in before, I'm guessing. So, mm -hmm. yeah, like for me, I've had three knee surgeries. So knee rehab or prehab is super important to me. So every time I'm warming up or at least a couple times a week, I have my little band out and I'm doing my squats and I don't have knee pain, but I'm going to keep it that way. That's part of my mobility practice that I'm going to keep my glutes strong and protect my knees so that I can do what I want to do. Wow. Three, three knee surgeries. Yeah. Do you think this is something I've always been interested in? Like, do you think if you're going to play a sport at the highest level, are you going to get injured? Is it just inevitable that high-level athletes going to get an injury? I would say you are to some degree, right? Like, not everyone's going to tear their ACL, but they're going to be training with some, some setback at some point. 
you know, even if it's tendonitis, which is really just like an inflammation response, if you're training at an elite level, at some point, you're probably pushing your body to its end capacity. And that inflammatory process might exceed your recovery. So I would say most elite athletes are dealing with some sort of injury a good amount of the time, but they're probably also putting in that recovery time to cut down how long that injury is there. And then they can work around it for a period of time. But also on the other side of the coin, like if you're going to look at your elite athletes, how many people are injured that don't do any exercise or any sport at all? Like that's the real pandemic that you see people who are obese and having low back pain. Like I think some crazy number, like 70% of Americans will get low back pain at some point in their lives. That's regardless if you work out or not. So I'm at least going to be healthy in the process if I'm going to get back pain either way. So elite athletes, like you're inevitably going to get injured at some point, but there are some people who are just genetic freaks. Yes. Like, (laughs) have you seen those people who move in ways that you probably shouldn't shouldn't and you're like okay they're they're probably gonna get injured at some point and it's just like nope never happens yeah totally there's people who surprise me all the time like oh you're just built different than the rest of us but i mean they have the same anatomy at the end of the day so it's just if their recovery is great maybe they'll never really have injuries because they can train and recover and that balance is there Uh, it's just trying not to exceed their capacities, what their body's ready for. But yeah, I've seen people that I'm like, I don't, great, great for you. I'm so happy you've never been hurt. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But for all of us who deal with those normal pains, normal injuries, I mean, one thing I kind of wanted to touch on was like the mental side of dealing with an injury. And I'm sure you've been able to see this on both sides, like coming back from three different knee surgeries. I'm sure there's some mental blocks that it takes to get back from those things. Like questions, are you ever going to get back to back to the level that you were at? Or, um, you know, it's tough mentally. So are you, is that something you kind of talk about with, uh, with your clients, like who are coming back from an injury? Do you spend time talking about the mental side? Absolutely. Like I can tell you've been injured because you asked that question. Like, half the injury is just staying mentally like focused through it. And I I talk to clients, even clients that aren't actually my clients, but people who've torn their ACL, like, Hey, you want to just chat it out? Like I'll listen to you if you just need a vent because it's nine months to a year. Like that is a long time to just trust the process and stay on the path. Like, like I said, you have dark days where you don't want to do it. And the, it's that mental trick of like, no, I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Simple as it may be, like if your level is band work, that's what you're doing and you have to start somewhere to finish. So I talk to people about that mental side and staying focused and checking in to hold them accountable. That's something I really try to be that resource with. Like I'm always texting my clients. All right, where are we at? What progress have we made? What changes do we need to make? Like I'm, I'm with you on this journey. I'm here to hold your hand. <laughs> Is there like dealing with, you know, something torn ACL or meniscus, like, is there kind of a playbook that you follow with everybody or is it just kind of, 
you know, trial and error, like you see, Hey, this is where you're at after three months is where somebody else is at after three months. Yeah. There's definitely protocols like for anybody who's had surgeries, we've studied protocols and timeframes are really important. And then there's certain like healing timelines that we know, like bone takes six to eight weeks to heal. That's what a bone is going to take to heal. No matter what you're eating, no matter how you're sleeping, it is going to take that long until the bone, like a fracture closes together. So you do have to respect those time frames. Um, and then the protocols give us guidance, but they're not enough because they are based off, you know, the general population and it's not sport specific. So that's where everything has to be tailored down to your goals. And I've had clients that are like, Hey, I'm doing a major competition in two weeks, whether you clear me or not. So my goal is not to tell them what they can't do is to tell them these are the risks. This is how you could train leaning up to it. That's your time frame. You know, we have to work around sports, especially for the elite levels. Um, and that's where you can get more creative in the rehab process. Um, so like my guys that have ACL injuries that have to do jujitsu, I'm doing way more work with them on the floor. They're on their hands and their knees and on the floor doing bear crawls. We're doing a lot of quick feet stuff, spontaneous movement stuff. That's very sport specific versus a CrossFit athlete. They're not really spending that much time on the floor and they're not necessarily reacting spontaneously. CrossFit is a very planned sport. Like when you're going to lift up the barbell, you grab the barbell, you prepare, you're staying very much in one place. It's very linear jujitsu. You have to be ready to cut, turn, fight for your life at any moment because you're going to be changing direction. So it's it, that's the fun part of like the returning to sport training side that we get to play with with the athletes. That's the best part about weightlifting is like anytime you tweak your neck and you're not feeling good. If, maybe you get like a rotation, something like something's just not feeling right. You literally go up and down. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> like all you do squat, like pull, everything's just in a straight line. So I'm like, ah, oh, my neck feels kind of funny. Like I didn't sleep right. And I'm like, well, it's fine. I can still train. Yeah. You don't have to move your neck that much. <laughs> yeah. But jujitsu is very much where you're, I mean, if you're feeling something, it's like, Hey, you, you just can't roll today. Yeah. Gonna you're going to pay for it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm one thing I hear a lot is like, listen to your body. You know, it, it's like an overused thing. But it, as I started to get into jujitsu, I like started to kind of understand a little bit more what that actually means. Like, and you can't just not train. Like if you listen to your body and a lot of times it's a mental thing, like, hey, maybe like I didn't sleep the best, like don't want to get up and train or, yeah. you know, something didn't go right at work, feeling a little stressed, like, oh, I'm just going to take some time off from the gym. Like, you you can't necessarily do that. But like, I mean, you're talking about like, when people have small aches and pains, like, hey, that's not normal. Like, when do you start to like, what are some red flags that you kind of get some like, it's going to lead to something bigger? It might not be painful today. But three months from now, if you keep training the way you're doing, then it's going to be something major. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing is the asymmetry. It's like one side is just way stronger than the other, 
or mobility wise, like this side, I can reach my arm all the way over my head. This side's like halfway, like that's an asymmetry. So we, we should correct that because a lot of your sport, you need to do both sides for most things. Um, so I'm always like check for something that's asymmetric. And then if a pain is recurring, so like that wrist pain that you have every time you snatch 110 pounds, that's when it comes back. Like that's a trigger and that's a very specific measurable thing that shouldn't be happening every time you hit 110. So what happens at 110 that didn't happen at a hundred, like something that keeps recurring is not normal. And then if your pain level is increasing, so if we're seeing like, oh, my pain level on a scale of 10 is like a two. And then the next day it's like a four. And then like a week later, it's kind of like a five or six, like that's trending upward. That's not good. (laughs) That's when you need to go in. Yeah. Looking at those trends and I see you're wearing the whoop. So you, um, you know, it's funny. I talk so much shit on the whoop. I hate it. I love but... the whoop. Oh gosh. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I don't know. I just, you know, I don't think you need it. Like I, I don't think I had a, what I had the problem with is like, especially weightlifting. I don't think it's good for weightlifting at all because like you could do a really hard workout and you'll get a five strain. It for doesn't the day. track well. Yeah. So it's like, Hey, you're 99% recovered and you're like, wow, I did like sets of 10 on squat yesterday and I can barely walk. Right. I don't think I'm 99%. Yeah, it doesn't measure doms well. Yeah. I think it would be good if like you didn't have access to the daily recovery and sleep and all that stuff. I think it would be really good if you had access to like the the three to six month data. And it's like, okay, you're doing this on these days, you're not sleeping well. Like what are you doing the day before? Are you training extra? Are you eating shitty? Is this when you had ice cream or is this when you had a lot of bread? So I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? I love everything about the whoop. So I like that you, you see the, the long-term result is beneficial. So I like that you see that where you can Mm -hmm. track some trends, but even on like a weekly basis. So for a while, like I wanted to do my running early in the morning at 6 a.m., but there were days where I didn't feel recovered from my training the night before. And I would use the whoop and be like, let's check that recovery score. Oh, wait, I'm in the red. Let's stay in bed longer instead of getting up to run. And we can run later. Um, so that was like one way that I used it just to increase my sleep patterns. Um, I like that it shows like how many times you wake up at night. I know a lot of devices do that, not just the whoop. And I think what's cool about the whoop is you can make sure you're hitting your metabolic training. Like you really should be elevating your heart rate. Even if you're weightlifting, you should be doing some sort of cardio aspect. So I think that's where you said like, Hey, I worked out really hard. My strain's a five, but did you get your heart rate up at all? You could jump on the bike for 20 minutes, get your heart rate up. You'll probably get a strain of 10 plus. And then, you know, you've actually done the heart healthy thing for the day. So I think there's uses there. But it, it doesn't track everything for sure. But do you feel like on the days that you are in the red, would you have felt bad if you didn't see it? Um, personally, I don't let myself get red. 
But luckily, like it depends on your lifestyle. Like I had to get rid of the whoop for a while because I was like, I work eight to five. Like if I'm in the red, I have to go to work at 8 a.m. anyways. <laughs> I can't sleep in. But if you have a more flexible schedule and you can get the sleep and negotiate that, that's where it's helpful. But I've had times where I'm in the red and I feel sick. And that's my body telling me, hey, you're breaking down. Your body is recovering when you're sleeping. That's why sleep is so important. That's when your muscles heal. Like you hear elite athletes all the time. I Rich Froning talks about it in his audiobook and Matt Frazier. He said he was sleeping like 12 hours a day training for the games, which yeah, his body had to mend from all the work it was putting out. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it it's good to track. It definitely is good to if I mean if you haven't tracked like if you haven't tracked food it's really good to track for a couple of weeks. For if sure. you haven't tracked your sleep, like, yeah, uh, by all means, I, I think it's a good tool if you're just getting started. I, for per me personally, like once I kind of knew like, Hey, this is how much I'm sleeping. This is how much I'm training. I'm like, okay, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to wake up on a competition day and be like, Oh, I'm only, I'm only 64%. Like how am I supposed to max out today? Right. I don't check it on comp day. So I don't load okay. my results all the time. I'm like, well, I'll deal with it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And kind of see. Yeah. And then if you're like, I felt really good and then I checked it and it's like 20% or if you felt really good and you checked it and it's 80%, like you can kind of deal with it on the, like as it comes on the backside. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I do think like some people use it as an excuse, like, Oh, I'm in the yellow or red, like can't work out this week. <laughs> like, mm, can't you, you feel fine. You didn't train that hard. Get out there. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. That's my thing is like, be able to check in with your own body. Yeah. Be flexible. It can give you information. Should you show you, you like choose to use it, but you don't have to live and die by what the group tells you to do. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big fan of just like literally just sitting down for five minutes in the morning and think about how you feel nice. like be before you check the phone before you're doing before you start working like i mean how many people can't do that like right. sit on the couch for five minutes and just think yeah like you have all these thoughts coming in like and we constant I'm, i fall into the same trap like if i'm cooking like i want to watch something on youtube or listen to a podcast and it's like how how many times throughout the day are we just present on what we're doing yeah yeah, just do that body check-in. And hey, you could then do your mobility, daily mobility work right in there. <laughs> Get your movement practice in. How about nutrition? How big um, of a factor does nutrition play on injury? Yeah, I think it's huge and it's underutilized. Like we know that you need to eat protein in order to build muscle. So if you're trying to get stronger, like recovering from an injury, I have you on a strength program and you're not getting enough protein, you're not rebuilding the muscle. You're doing the hard stuff, right? You're lifting the heavy weight and you're working super hard, but your body doesn't have the tools it needs to then build that muscle. So like, that's just a simple version of it, but yeah, the food is huge. Keeping down your inflammatory foods. I think we're getting more research now and people are starting to gain knowledge, but it's underutilized in recovery for sure. Yeah. The inflammation is a big thing. Do you like, are there any foods specifically that cause inflammation that we should be staying away from? Um, I know different bodies respond different. 
I really am interested. There's like a blood test you can do to see how your body specifically responds to different carbs and starches. And you can learn what's inflammatory for you. I'd love to do one of those. So if you know what it is, tell me what it is. Um, somebody told me. I, I yeah. don't know if I know it off the top of my head, but yeah, I, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, because some people like blow up when they eat white bread. Other people, no, they need the carbs and it's great and their body processes it. Um, so I don't know any specific ones. I think you have to kind of learn through trial and error. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, that's what I love about the podcast is I, I it's funny because I've had a couple different physical therapists on and I've had nutrition coaches, I've had athletes on and everybody brings a different knowledge base and everybody will say a different thing. So some people might say, oh, yeah, white bread's really bad for inflammation. And then some people might say, hey, no, it's doesn't cause inflammation for everybody. Like I haven't seen that in my clients. Yeah. And yeah, I love it. Like I think we can all come together and like I kind of hope that this is a, you know, like a knowledge base that you can come back to. And it's like, hey, listen to Ariel. If you're if you're dealing with an injury, if you're like trying to get your everyday nutrition in check, like listen to this episode. For sure. Yeah, because I'm like so big on we all work together in this like health, fitness, wellness. We're all just trying to like help each other and give information. And I refer my clients to nutrition coaches all the time. I'm like, go get some information, go figure out what you're supposed to eat. That's not specifically what I do. So I'm going to send you to the person who's absolutely great at it. Get their advice and use that in your recovery. Yeah, I mean, like using those resources. I talk about it all the time. Like we have resources for everything. Yeah. And like if you if you're not using them, then it's kind of like you're choosing not to. But I kind I tend to overdo the information. Like if I start to, you know, if you have if you have pain or if you have, you know, something weird on your foot, you like you you know, you go down the rabbit hole. And Don't go to WebMD and Google yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, so sometimes for me, it, it tends to be like, I have to do less research and more just kind of introspection, maybe listen to one person and be like, Hey, let me try this out. See, see how it works. And then kind of give everybody a chance instead of just getting all the information at one time. Yeah. Especially trying to do things yourself. Like I'm, I'm always saying like, I stay in my lane, you stay in your lane. Like if my car breaks down, I know absolutely nothing about a car. Like I'm, I, I don't know. I'm going to take my car to a mechanic to get the car fixed. And if my phone dies also, all I can do is turn it on and off. I'm not good at electronics. So I'm going to take it to the Apple store and have, you know, the geek squad fix up my phone. And it's the same with your body. Like you, you know so much about your body, but why don't you go to the body expert? You know, we, we, certain things we're, we're quick to go for help, but why not go to these people who studied for years, who see this all the time? Like this might be an easy fix for them. So I'm, I'm quicker to, to move and ask for help from the right people. One of my favorite quotes is by Louis Simmons. And he said, um, he said, I didn't invent toilet paper, but I'm smart enough to use it. So what it is, it's there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so you said like people can come to you for an evaluation. Um, obviously, I'm in Pennsylvania. Like, do you do everything on site or do you kind of do things through Zoom? Like, how's, how's your practice look? 
Yeah, I'm mostly on site. I've had a couple people do the virtual thing um, where they'll kind of explain what's going on. And I can do a general assessment like through the computer or the phone. I can teach you how to check your own strength. The only problem is then I'm 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 trusting your evaluation of your own strength, which is a hard thing. Like, oh, nope, they're exactly the same side to side. They might not be those subtle differences that I can pick up in person. But if it's something like you're telling me it hurts when you snatch, I can watch you on a barbell and check the technique. I can give you some advice. I can give you some exercises. So occasionally I'll do a virtual. Um, and then I do have like an online platform for people who want me to program for them. So I can send the exercises virtually and do the check-ins that way for the, for the strengthening part. Can't do body work virtually. I'll work, I'll work on that. No cupping through the computer. <laughs> and then where, where can people go if they want to work with you on site? Um, yep. My website is teaminspirept.com. And then I also have my Instagram. I get a lot of like DM messages and then I work in El Segundo. I work in Redondo beach. I work in San Dimas and I work in orange County. So I, I span LA, LA South Bay. So it's like a good hour radius for people local. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was good. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for having me.